Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Australia on this day. My name's Michael Adams and today we're going back to Sunday, the 17th of July, 1932. That was the day that 1,000 citizens of Cairns fought a pitched and bloody battle with some 100 unemployed men who'd been camping at the town's showgrounds. When the fighting was over, 80 people were injured, some of them severely, and a new battle was shaping up to be fought in the courts. Winter 1932 was when the Great Depression was at its worst in Australia. As we heard in yesterday's episode, many unemployed men hit what they called the track. That is, they walked, hitched or rode the rails from place to place in search of jobs. Official unemployment was over 30% in Queensland and the newly elected Labor government of Premier William Forgan Smith would grapple with policy on how to help workers find jobs and accommodation. With conditions even worse in the southern states, nomads had started to arrive in Queensland and had made their way as far north as Cairns. While today this is a tourist hub supporting a population of more than 150,000, back in 1932 the entire shire was home to just 10,000 people. So the sudden presence of dozens and then hundreds of jobless men caused a kerfuffle, particularly when these fellows set up camp in Parramatta Park, which was used each year for the Cannes show. Even so, these out-of-work, out-of-towners were left to find what shelter they could in the grandstand and among the cattle stalls and chicken coops. As 1932 progressed and the Great Depression worsened, tensions over this unemployment camp rose, particularly as its population, including some local jobless thrown in, now totaled nearly 400. In late autumn and early winter, the Mayor of Cairns, Alderman W.A. Collins, along with fellow councillors, business leaders and the Cairns show committee members, tried to get these unemployed men to move on. But they had nowhere to go, so they refused to budge. Negotiations were begun with the camp's communist leaders, John McCormick and Baden-Bennett, in order to find a solution. What Cairns officialdom proposed was that the men from the camp move into temporary tent accommodation at the harbourside for the duration of the show, after which they'd be able to move back into Parramatta Park. What the unemployed believed was that if they vacated the showgrounds for temporary digs, they'd never get back in. Their demand was that Cairns elected officials and leading businessmen support them in asking the state government to provide jobs and a permanent shelter. On the 30th of June 1932, a meeting of Cairns officials and camp representatives ended in an impasse. John McCormick and Baden-Bennett said they couldn't accept temporary accommodation because it would relieve the state government of their responsibilities. Mayor Collins countered by saying he wouldn't support their demands to the Premier and intimated that he'd have the unemployed men removed from the showground by force if necessary. The camp leaders responded by saying they wouldn't go down without a fight. The battle lines were drawn. The three-day Cannes show was due to start on the 19th of July and it was set to be a corker. 
some 2,000 entries for horse, cattle, dog and poultry events had already been received. In addition to trade and agricultural exhibits, there were going to be nearly 30 sideshows, including Jimmy Sharman's Boxes, The Waxworks, The Magic Mirrors, The Whirl of Death, Monkey and Seal Spectacles, and The Mysterious Daughter of the Gods. That all sounded great fun, but the show couldn't go on without the showgrounds. By now, the number of unemployed in the showgrounds had dwindled to 100 or so. The newspapers depicted these men as the hardcore who'd rather fight beneath the red flag flying from an electric light pole than admit defeat and move on. On the morning of Sunday the 17th of July, Mayor Collins led some 1,000 men to the gates of the showgrounds. They were there, Mayor Collins claimed, for a working bee to get the showgrounds into shape for the coming show. Inside, though, the unemployed were nervous that these men weren't a working bee but a basher gang. Such fears had foundation because in the late 1920s and early 1930s, state governments sometimes gave the nod to brutal basher gangs to break up strikes and quell supposedly revolutionary activity. At the Cairns showground that day, 34 police were on hand, many having come from outlying stations in the past few days because it was in the wind that a showground showdown was imminent. Mayor Collins climbed onto the roof of a building and spoke to his people, telling them that inside they were going to face armed resistance, so they'd better arm themselves. From the roof, the mayor shouted, quote, The time has come for us citizens of Cairns to show these invaders that we shall be free to walk where we please. His mob grabbed sticks, batons, tent poles, stones, bottles and chunks of concrete. Led by the mayor, other aldermen and local business bosses, this militia marched into the showgrounds. The police fanned out ahead of them, the officers forming a thin blue line between the citizens and the unemployed. Inspector Coman told both sides to stay calm and peaceful. He asked the unemployed to leave quietly, but they refused. Instead, John McCormack climbed onto a cattle pen fence. There, he called upon the citizens, his fellow workers, to not become a basher gang on behalf of Mayor Collins and other capitalist bosses. Then, a number of things happened simultaneously along the line. As is always the case with such events, there were many versions of what happened. But we'll go with the official story first, as told by the police, citizens and the distinctly biased Cairns Post newspaper. Realising the only response to his red rallying call had been angry murmurs from the mob, John McCormack yelled, quote, All right, we've got nothing to lose. You have everything. We'll blow a few of you to hell. He then threw a homemade bomb comprising a tin containing two sticks of gelignite, a detonator and a fuse into the crowd. Luckily, it didn't go off because the fuse hadn't been lit, even though numerous police and citizen witnesses claimed it had been trailing a wisp of smoke as it sailed over their heads. While this was happening, an unemployed man named Jack Keane menaced a citizen with a cane knife and was disarmed by a policeman. At the same time, two men from the opposing sides were about to start throwing punches when a constable came between them and then this officer became a target for blows delivered by the unemployed. Simultaneously, a man named James Hill, who'd been standing next to McCormack on the railing, used a big stick to smash a sergeant named Christie on the head. 
As Sergeant Christie went down, police went after his assailant and all hell broke loose as a cry from the unemployed went up, quote, into the bloody police, boys. For the next 10 minutes or so, it was a free-for-all. Here's how the Central Queensland Herald described the scene. Stones, bottles and lumps of iron flew through the air. Clubs with barbed wire around the ends, fire irons, bars, sticks with razor blades inserted in the tops, cane knives, tent pegs and sticks clashed with batons, poles and shovels wielded by the citizens. The Cairns Post depicted the police with unalloyed admiration. Quote, Shoulder to shoulder with his men, Inspector Coman led the police to capture the assailant of Sergeant Christie. The police smashed down the front rank of the unemployed and, supported by more than 500 civilians, routed them. One policeman, deprived of his baton, tore in like a threshing machine with bare knuckles, as did many townspeople who had no weapons. The unemployed men put up stubborn resistance for the first few minutes, but as they were outnumbered by as many as 10 to 1, they were soon overwhelmed and routed by a flanking attack. A dozen of the unemployed soon lay wounded, including John McCormack, who'd been beaten around the head so badly his skull was dented. Those who could ran away, though several more of the unemployed were bashed to the ground in a nearby street. Men who got away were chased for up to a mile by hundreds of angry citizens until they escaped into the bush. All up, from all sides, unemployed citizen and police, 80 men were injured. For two hours, five ambulance workers gave first aid and ferried about two dozen of the most seriously wounded to hospital. Nine policemen had been hurt, of whom four were taken to hospital. Only one, a constable Purcell, was kept under care, having suffered a serious head injury that damaged his eyesight. A dozen citizens were taken to hospital, and at least that many of the unemployed were also admitted. John McCormack, who'd been arrested where he fell, was one of the most seriously injured. Jack Keane, the bloke with a cane knife, was even worse off, with a fractured skull. Two other men, including an elderly chap, had broken arms, and just about everybody had serious head lacerations. Along with John McCormack, James Hill, who'd allegedly hit Sergeant Christie with that stick, was in custody. Baden Bennett got away, but he'd be caught a couple of days later. When the battle for the showgrounds was well and truly over, a brief truce was established so that the unemployed men could go into the showground in groups of four to retrieve their swags. After that, though, Mayor Collins issued an ultimatum. Get out of town within 24 hours, or he'd sick the mob on them again. The next day, the Cairns Post headline read, Cairns citizens vindicated, homes defended, pitched battle yesterday, ruthless reds routed. The accompanying article displayed nothing like objectivity, though there was a wondrous flair for alliteration. Quote, the righteous resolution was put into practical effect at Parramatta Park yesterday morning when, after a pitched battle in which the audacious and rapacious highwaymen were the aggressor, the Cairns citizens with the neutrality of the police were victorious in a sanguinary and salutary struggle for supremacy. The thing was, though, that the show committee, despite advice from the state government, hadn't gone through the legal process of having an eviction notice issued and delivered to the unemployed. What that meant was that on Sunday the 17th of July 1932, the police had no legal authority to force the unemployed to move, and of course, neither did the 1,000 strong citizen mob. 
The unemployed men considered the ringleaders and most serious offenders, John McCormack, Baden Bennett and James Hill, went on trial in October. Bennett and Hill were charged with assaulting police officers while McCormack was charged with this and with lighting and throwing that bomb. What emerged across these three separate trials were inconsistent and contradictory accounts from the police and from Cairns citizens about the events leading up to the battle. Numerous newspaper articles had detailed how the mayor had told citizens to take up arms before they'd gone inside the showgrounds. Yet now prosecution witnesses tried to say that the citizens hadn't been armed until they'd been attacked and that the mayor had never said anything about grabbing any weapons. The accused men also told very different stories about what had happened. Baden Bennett denied hitting any policeman and showed he'd been far from the officer he'd supposedly assaulted. James Hill said the same thing. He also said that 150 of the citizens had come into the showgrounds armed with sticks, concrete and tent poles. Some, he said, had climbed onto the roof of the stables armed with bottles. Quote, A number of citizens were hissing and jeering at us. A fight started. I was in the front ranks of the unemployed. Jack Keane was first to be hit and citizens on the roof pelted us with concrete and one man on the roof said, Look out, you have knocked one of the police out. Another unemployed man named Snowy Paul had already been convicted of hitting Sergeant Christie, but now it seemed that at least one policeman had been decked by a citizen. John McCormack also testified that the mob had been armed with timber, broken bottles, broken concrete and stones. He had a more serious allegation about police brutality also. Quote, As I got off the fence, one of the police spoke to me and I said, We are not lunatics. Do you think it is likely we will attack a crowd? After that, I saw Detective Sergeant Mayers strike Jack Keane and a shower of broken bottles and concrete followed. The constable from Innisfail got a spade and nearly cut my ear off with it. He then jabbed me in the eye. A citizen hit me on the head with a waddy bound with wire. As for the bomb, a witness said John McCormack had thrown it with his right hand. John McCormack very reasonably asked why he would have done that when he was left-handed. He also asked why he would have thrown the bomb at a crowd he'd just pleaded with for help as fellow workers. Further, John McCormack asked why he'd throw a bomb right in front of the police. There was no real answer to these questions, and the implication was that he'd been framed, just as he contended he had been earlier in 1932 when he'd been charged, tried and acquitted of blowing up a railway bridge during a strike action, a bombing he claimed had been carried out by company agents to make the strikers look bad. The October 1932 trials of John McCormack, Baden Bennett and James Hill all came down to who judges and juries believed. These unemployed communists or the fine upstanding police and the capitalist elite of Cairns. James Hill was found not guilty. Baden Bennett, not guilty. And the judge presiding at John McCormack's trial was so unimpressed with the Crown's case that he directed the jury to find this bashed and battered alleged bomb thrower also not guilty. In effect, these verdicts were an acknowledgement that if these men had fought, it had been in self-defence and that the police had skewed the evidence to shift all blame onto the unemployed. 
So it had been the men supposedly on the side of justice who'd been the lawless mob, while the supposedly lawless mob of unemployed men were actually vindicated three times in the court of law. The unemployed had lost the battle, but won the war. Not that it did them any good because they'd lost their showgrounds camping ground and no police officer or citizen ever had to worry about being charged, let alone convicted. In an editorial, the Cairns Post had gleefully said that Sunday the 17th of July 1932 would go down in history as a red-letter day for the town. Yet, in retrospect, these verdicts make it seem more of a black mark. And they also serve as a reminder that, in tough times, not every Australian embraced swaggies as lovable characters. I'm Michael Adams, and you've been listening to Australia on This Day. Make sure you're subscribed to get every episode as soon as it's released. If you've enjoyed the show, I'd love it if you could leave a review and rating at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're after more tales from our fascinating history, check out my other show, Forgotten Australia. This podcast was produced in the Blue Mountains of New South Wales on land traditionally owned by the Darug and Gundungurra people. Thanks for listening and catch you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.